You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We are beginning our annual World Mission Series beginning today, which we call The Beat. All right, And it's called The Beat because God's heart beats for the lost. Obviously, our family and friends, but not just in particular, the lost of the nation. So I want to thank uh, Pastor Ariel and Shirley just for inviting us over this morning to be with all of you. A large part of our lives is making plans, right? I mean, we plan uh, which university to go to, which course to take, what kind of job to get, how old uh, when we get married, how many kids to have. And then life happens. And so in reality, very little of our plans actually work out like Michelle. She, she had a good plan. Well, I don't know if it was good. She had a plan about her money and her husband's money. But how many of you know that plan changed? And are you glad your plan changed? Yeah, so she's happy it changed. And you know, that's life. We should be adaptable, flexible. It's all part of that. And that's all good. In fact, I graduated with a degree in business. Pastor Ariel and Shirley had an accounting degree. So how many of you all know that? Those plans didn't pan out as well. So again, that's part of life and that's all good. So we realize it's easier to make plans than to stick to our plans. But then there are plans we make that should never change. In other words, when I married Pia, the plan was to remain faithful and married to her for the rest of my life. That should not change. Would you agree? Okay, yeah. The plan to provide the best life possible for my family, that plan shouldn't change. God's call on our lives. I mean, that's why Pastor Ariel and I ended up in ministry instead of in business or accounting. That should not change. So if you notice, the plans in our lives that don't change are those which, from the very beginning, the goal or the purpose was very clear. And so that whatever circumstance or challenge happens, those plans never change. In fact, um, if I can uh, also draw on Pastor Steve Merle, who planted Victory in 1984, you've all heard the story. The plan was to be here for two weeks. The two weeks became a month, six months, one year, two years, 34 years later, he's still here. Because the plan was clear from the very beginning. Maybe the schedule wasn't, the calendar was not clear, but he knew he came to honor God and to make disciples. And so everything else changed except the plan to honor God and make disciples. So this series is all about the unchanging, eternal, universal plan of God. See, when we talk world missions, generally we always start with Matthew 28. And that's understandable, the Great Commission, of course. But when we always begin with Matthew 28, it's as if world missions is something we do. Something that started with the church. It's almost like an assignment or a project or an operation of the church. When in reality... World missions goes further back than Matthew 28. In fact, it goes all the way back to the very beginning, literally to Genesis 1, to the unchanging, eternal, universal purpose of God. So if you have your Bibles, go all the way to the very beginning, not to the table of contents, a few pages after the table of contents, to Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now, Genesis is key to understanding the whole Bible. You will not understand the Bible unless you understand Genesis. And Genesis 1 and 2 in particular, I mean, of course, there's a bit of a debate. Right? Is that literal? Uh, is it poetic? Is it myth? Is it a myth? 
I went to religious school growing up, and I remember our, the priest said, it's just a fable, something like that. So what is it? Is it literal, myth, fable? You know, the honest truth is um, that it's so ancient and doc- a document that we cannot know for any certainty. Because it was written for us, but it was not written to us. You understand? There's a difference. It was written for us, meaning it has something to tell us, but it wasn't written to us. It was written to a community of Jews who lived multiple thousands of years ago. So they got it. The original audience understood exactly what Genesis is. Genesis 1 and 2. Is that, is that fable? Is it fiction? Is it literal? They knew. We don't because we miss the nuances. But the more important question is, what is the message of Genesis 1 and 2? So any work of literature, the more important question more than the genre is, what is it trying to tell us? And so this morning, okay, we will look at what God is telling us through Genesis chapter 1. Okay, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So what does that tell us? It tells us that God created the world. It wasn't self-created. It wasn't definitely wasn't created by man. God himself created the world. He's God. We're not God. The world is not God. Only God is God. And the Spirit of God was there from the very beginning. In fact, on a side note, it's not part of the message, but He took what was formless and empty, in the words of the NIV, and created the world with it. So in other words, if there's anything in your life that's formless and empty, I'm not sure, maybe it's a sense of purpose, I don't know, maybe it's your relationships, you surrender it to God. God is in the business of taking what is formless and empty and creating something beautiful with it. But that's not our message. Okay? So that was the first day. We just read the first day. And then instead of reading the whole text, it'll take too much. I'll just uh, share the story. So day one, he created day and night. And then day two, God said, and there was the heavens and the oceans, and it was so, God looked at it, it was good. Day three, God said, And there was land and vegetation. He gathered the waters to one part. Land appeared. God looked at it. It was so. It was good. Day four. Okay, God said there was a sun and the moon. It was so. God looked. It was good. Day five. God said there were the birds and the fish. It was so. God looked at it. Good. Day six. God said there were the animals. It was so. God looked. Good, and then God created man. And day seven, God was able to rest. So did you notice there was a rhythm to creation? God would speak it into creation. It would happen as he said it. He would look at it. It was very good. In fact, another way to look at creation, days one, two, and three, if you notice the first half of creation, he created living spaces. And in the second half, And there was a corresponding day. Day four corresponded to day one, day five to day two, day six to day three. In in day four, he created the sun and the moon, which reside in in the day and night. 
In day five, he created the birds and the fish which resided in the heavens and the oceans and animals and man who reside in day three. In other words, he created the living spaces in the first half of creation and in the second uh, half, he created communities who would reside in those living spaces. In other words, there was a pattern. There was a sense of order in what God was doing. He is a God of order. In other words, he wasn't being spontaneous when he created the world. It wasn't a last-minute production. You know, he wasn't tinkering, experimenting. I wonder what's going to happen if I do this. You know? He wasn't going, hey, why don't we try this? He wasn't doing that. God knew exactly and precisely what he wanted, and he did it. And that's why he could rest. And really, what he created was a framework for relationships. He created a community. Who God is, how he relates with us, man, and how we relate to God's creation. So again, God knew exactly what he wanted, and he did it, and that's why he could rest on day seven. He wasn't going, oh, oh, I forgot this, or oh, what about this, what if I add? He wasn't, he could rest in perfection because God completed the work. In fact, in chapter two, it says, he could look at what he had done, rest, bless it, and call it holy. In other words, at the end of creation, by day seven, God was enthroned as king over all of creation, ruling in perfect harmony, order, sovereignty, and peace. That's the message of Genesis 1. Now, in this order of creation, man was the crowning achievement of God. Remember, every day he would look at what he had done and said, good, 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 good. But when he saw man, what did God say? Very good. So in fact, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, you look very good. There you go. And if you're single, that's the perfect opening. So regalo ko na yun sa'yo, okay? Tuloy-tuloy mo na. Alright. But in creating man, God revealed His unchanging, eternal, universal purpose. Again, turn to verses 26 to 28 of chapter 1. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth. In other words, birds, fish, livestock, pagkulang pa yun, over all the earth, and, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In other words, wala nang natira. God gave us dominion over literally everything. Verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In other words, it was a perfect creation, but God set us apart. When He created us last, when He created us in His image, and in chapter 2, when He breathed life into man. And finally, when He gave us a purpose. In other words, God's mission is to extend His rule and to fill the world with His glory. That's the unchanging, eternal purpose of God all the way from Genesis 1 to today. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, comes out of Genesis chapter 1. It's to extend the rule of God 
and fill every inch, square inch of this creation with the glory of God. Our purpose, therefore, as man, is tied to the mission of God. You know what our purpose is? Why God created man? To extend the rule of God and fill the world with His glory. How do we do that? By stewarding creation. That's chapter 2, if you read chapter 2. And it's by multiplying and spreading throughout the earth to fill it with His glory. Because at this point, it was a perfect order. We were perfectly righteous. So by simply multiplying and spreading, we brought the glory of God with us everywhere we went. And that's why God wanted us to fill the earth to spread His glory all over. So God stood as king over creation. And as man, we lived in submission to this rulership, and yet God ruled through man. God stood as king over creation, but He ruled creation through man. By us stewarding creation and by us spreading throughout the earth and filling the world with His glory. Therefore, Genesis 26, 1, 26 to 28 answers two important questions. Who are we and why are we here? Who are we? We're the people of God who bear His image. Why are we here? To extend God's glory and to fill the world with His glory. Those are the answers to the two most important questions in life. So at the end of chapters 1 and 2, wow, it was perfect. Perfect creation, perfect king, perfect fellowship, perfect order, perfect peace, perfect harmony. Which is why uh, in 1968, very interesting trivia, Apollo 8, so Apollo 11 had not happened yet, obviously they had not reached the moon. Apollo 8 was the first to orbit the moon. And what happened was they were the first to actually to go to the dark side of the moon, meaning the side of the moon opposite the sun. So it's pitch black darkness. And so as Apollo 8 swung around the moon, behind the moon in pitch black darkness, and as they swung around, they saw this image of the earth. It was the first time human eyes saw this image of the earth. And you know what? On a side note, this is considered, it's called the earth rise. If you want to Google it, it's considered one of the most important photographs in in history. And basically, because of this photograph, that's what gave birth to environmentalism, the green movement, etc. When man saw how incredibly perfect and beautiful the earth was in God's creation, that's what gave birth to all this green consciousness. But anyway, so... Apollo 8 swung around the moon, and as they saw this, they were unprepared. Again, nobody had ever seen this before. In fact, I was reading the account. They fumbled around. So they took a picture. Oh, no, black and white. So Jim Lovell, I think, where's the colored film? So he had to scramble, got the colored film, and then put it in the camera. And then I think they thought they had missed the opportunity. Oh, no, no. And then they looked at it. Oh, there it is. And took this picture. Here's the thing. When they swung around and saw the earth rise, yeah, earth rise, you know what the date was? December 24, 1968. Christmas Eve. And they were being broadcast throughout the world. And because they were unprepared, and they were speechless, they were stunned by the beauty of the earth. You know what? They didn't know what to say. You know what? I, I, I'm not sure who did it. One of the astronauts picked up his Bible, read from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And read the first 10 verses. The whole world at the time heard Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 10 as a reaction to the beauty of God's creation. I don't know about you, but I wish, I wish 
How I wish the Bible were just two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2. Because if it ended in chapter 2, wow, happy, happy time, and we'd be living in paradise in perfect harmony and fellowship with God. But Genesis 3 happened. So sin corrupted the world. It distorted the image of God in our lives. Essentially, what Adam and Eve did was they rejected the rule of God. This mission and this purpose that God had given man, they rejected that. And since then, we've made our dreams, our desires, our needs, our, our, our longings, our, our ambition the determinant of life. No longer the mission of God, no longer our purpose. It's what I want, it's what I need, it's what I think, it's how I view the world. That became the purpose of life. Which, by the way, another side comment. Every time we stray from that mission and purpose, that's where we get into trouble. Every time we make our desires, our longings, our needs, the determinant of life, that's where we sink further and further into the quicksand. But as we draw back into the mission and purpose of God, that's when we experience the blessings of God. Now, what did the fall do to the mission? Did it erase the mission? No. But it introduced the need for salvation. Back then, you, nobody had to be saved. We were living in perfect righteousness. But after sin, now man and creation actually had to be saved. So it introduced the need for a Savior. And that's why the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament, simply points to that Messiah who will restore the rule of God once more. And the rest of the Bible, the New Testament to this day, is simply the working of the outworking of God's rule back on earth. Okay? Now, what about our identity as the people of God? Did that cancel our identity? Are we now no longer the people of God? No. Well, well, back then, anyone who was born in those perfect conditions was already the people of God. I mean, again, you're in perfect righteousness. But now, you have to put your faith on the finished work of Jesus Christ to be the people of God. That's why we preach the gospel. What about our purpose? Does our purpose remain or was that also you know, trashed because of, the, because of sin? Well, we're still, I mean, that's, that's still our role to extend God's rule and to fill the world with His glory. Except back then, we simply had to take care of creation and be, again multiply and spread and that's it. We bore the image of God. Okay, today, we have to preach and to demonstrate the gospel in order to bring men into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ so that they can glorify God in their lives. So our roles changed. The mission continues. The mission remains unchanged, but our role shifted. We were stewards. We were just stewards before. Today, we're ambassadors. The Bible says we're ministers of reconciliation. In fact, the Bible says God appeals through us. God still rules. He is still king. He is Lord and Savior, but He makes His appeal through us. He rules the world through us. Now, through the proclamation and the demonstration of the gospel. So what is now the state of God's mission? Okay, if that's God's unchanging purpose from the beginning, so how much of His rule has now spread throughout the earth and how much of His glory fills the earth? Well, I'll start with the good news. I normally start with the bad news and good news, but okay, I'll switch it for this morning. Good news, there are now 2.3 billion Christians in the world. That's a lot of Christians, more than any point in history. In fact, there are 5 million churches around the world. In fact, I just read, in the last 100 years alone, 
Christianity has grown 300-fold, 300%. In other words, if you invested one peso 100 years ago into the same, what do you call that, uh, interest rate as the way Christianity has grown, your one peso will be 300 pesos today. How many of you know that's an excellent return? So that's how much Christianity has grown. In fact, they say by 2050, there will be 3 billion Christians. What is that? 12 years from now, there will be 3 billion Christians. Around Almost half the world will be Christian. That's the good news. Okay, so good. Keep, keep going. Here's the bad news. There are still 3.5 billion Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists. And 1 million villages without a church. What does that mean? In other words, Christianity is in a better state than at any other point in history. More people are getting saved today. Actually, we're living in the greatest in-gathering of souls that the world had ever seen. And yet, there's still a lot of work that remains. Half the world still have never heard of Jesus Christ. That's our job now. That's our task. That is why we do world missions. Now, what does this mean for you and I on a day-to-day basis? You know, along the way, somewhere along the way, somewhere between Genesis 1 and today, somebody thought of compartmentalizing life. You know, in other words, we learn to compartmentalize life. In other words, okay, this part of my life, that's my family life, okay? This part of my life, that's my career. That's very important. Okay, this part of my, don't, don't touch this part of my, this is my me time, that's my cycling time and running time or if you're pastoring, my gym time, you know, whatever, okay? And then, and then we figure out, how much time hmm, do I give to God? In other words, it's like we're saying, where do I fit God into my life? Now, in the light of God's unchanging universal plan, that's the wrong question. The question really is, how does my little life fit in the universal, unchanging, eternal mission of God? Or, you know, as Christians, we're fascinated. We like to discover what is my individual, personal, customized calling from God. And that's a very important question to ask. But whatever your individual calling is really, that is wrapped up in the larger, bigger, universal, unchanging mission of God. Whatever it is that you and I are called to do, it's to serve the larger mission of God. In other words, the mission of God to extend His rule and fill the world with His glory is the overarching, universal, biggest purpose or plan or goal or mission that any of us can ever imagine and devote our lives to. In fact, it should permeate every area of our lives. In other words, we don't fit God into our lives we ask ourselves, in my marriage, how do I extend the rule of God in my marriage? What about my children, the way I raise my children? How do I extend the rule of God there? In my career, how do I extend the rule of God in my career? How about His glory? How do I fill my marriage with the glory of God? How do I fill the world with my children with glory as I raise? How about my career, my business, my office, my office space? How do I fill that with the glory of God? In other words, all of life comes under the overarching, unchanging purpose of God. You know, that 50% of the world that's never heard the gospel, again, that is what God is doing today. That's what the mission of God means for us today. And that's why in Victory and in Every Nation, we've kind of encapsulated that through what we call the 2020 initiative. 
This we feel is our part as a movement and as a spiritual family to help fulfill the mission of God. And that is to reach three nations every year. And if you notice, all of these nations beginning in 2013 belong to that 50%. The 50% Hindu, Buddhist, and Muslim. So by the grace of God, we are right on track. And by the grace of God, if we stay on track by 2020, we would have reached Asia and beyond. So that's the grace of God. That's our plan. That's how we get involved in the overarching mission of God. So we learned today that the mission of God in Genesis 1 remains unchanged, except that it's taken on a redemptive nature. And the best news of all is that God himself sent the Savior. And it wasn't just any Savior. And let me just close with Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. He, talking about Jesus Christ, the Savior that God sent, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him, by Jesus, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. You know why Jesus Christ was the perfect Savior? He was there from the very beginning. In fact, He was there before the beginning. He was the firstborn. It was by Him, through Him, for Him, that all things were created. And that's why it is only by His work on the cross that all things will be reconciled back to God. That is the mission of God, and that is the purpose of our lives. Can I pray for you? Is that okay? Can I ask you all just to bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord Jesus, thank you first of all. Lord, we acknowledge that you are Lord and you are Savior. Lord, that even as you sit enthroned as King of kings and Lord of lords over all creation, Lord, you make your appeal through us. And so, Lord, whatever it is that we do, you know, businessman, uh, an engineer, doctor, lawyer, uh, housewife, businessman, whatever it is that we do, Lord, may it all be in service of your universal, eternal, unchanging mission. Lord, help us. Help us extend your rule in every area of our lives. And Lord, not just in our lives, but in every nation. Lord, I pray for each and every person here this morning that even as they allow their personal lives and goals and missions and dreams to be subsumed by your overarching mission, that your blessing, your abundance, your goodness, your faithfulness would overtake them and overflow in their lives. Again, for no other reason, but so that your name would be honored. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.